If you're new, you might wonder why the popcorn boxes and all that. Well, we've been doing a series for the month of December called Christmas at the Movies. And we've been looking at various movies, and they're not necessarily movies that focus on Jesus. In fact, one of the things that's amazing is you can bring Jesus into focus in just about any Christmas movie, whether it focuses on him or not. Today's movie, for example, is It's a Wonderful Life. The best Christmas movie ever, I think, but that's just my opinion. Anyway, It's a Wonderful Life only mentions Jesus one time when Mr. Martini, the local bartender, is praying for George Bailey in the name of Joseph, Jesus, and Mary. That's it. And if you watch the entire movie, It's a Wonderful Life, you might assume that A Wonderful Life just consists of being um, helpful to those around you. Now, I'll be honest, if everybody in the world committed to being helpful to those around us, it would be a better world, right? But that's not what we're talking about here, just a better world. We're talking about living a wonderful life, the wonderful life that Jesus gives us. To do that, first thing I want to do is define what the word wonderful means. Dictionary.com says that wonderful is an adjective. It means excellent, great, marvelous, of a sort that causes or arouses wonder. Amazing, astonishing. So some would say then, to have a wonderful life, you probably have to be famous, some kind of notoriety. Maybe you're a sports figure, uh, a person that's uh, an actress or an actor. Maybe you're a business person who made a lot of money. But the problem with those definitions of wonderful is fame and fortune, it just comes and goes. I can prove it to you with a little quiz. Who do you think won the award for Best Actress or Best Actor Academy Award in 2018? How about who was the Heisman Trophy winner in 2015? How about the simple one? Who was Governor of Pennsylvania in 1998? Who was the richest person in the world in 1947? If you know the answer to any of those questions, you probably should audition for Jeopardy. And my point is very simple. Fame and fortune are fleeting. Today's headliners are tomorrow's trivia trivia questions, and we don't even know the answer to the the question. Because a wonderful life has a lot more to do uh, with, with who we are than the outward exterior things that we see. So our take-home point, which is the one point that I'm going to be making from Scripture today, um, tells us what a wonderful life is all about. And here it is, very simple. Everyone can live a wonderful life because Jesus came. When I say everyone, I mean everybody who's here. In fact, I titled the message, Your Wonderful Life. Because I want you to understand that it isn't just the rich and famous who have wonderful lives. A wonderful life is for anyone who understands and lives the true meaning of Christmas every day. There are a lot of Christians in America who think that Christmas is too commercialized. You know, all the cookies and presents and decorations and all that kind of stuff. And, And the focus is not on what it should be. But you realize the reason why we do all those things is because we're trying to turn something that was very ordinary into something extraordinary. You realize when Jesus came, it was a pretty ordinary event. In fact, what happens is people want to take the focus away from Jesus because not everybody's excited about Jesus. You know, I mean, we we have folks who want us to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas because they would rather focus on the presents and on the decorations and all those kind of things than on the reality that the God of the universe sent his only son into the world as a baby so that he could grow up to become the savior of the world. So they would rather have December be all about stuff or, or maybe just forget about all this stuff and just move on. 
But the reality is, we're going to look at three ways that we live a wonderful life through Jesus. And I think a couple of them out of the three might surprise you. Here's the first one, probably shouldn't be a surprise. A wonderful life originates with omnipotence. A wonderful life originates with omnipotence. You see, the reason that fame and fortune don't satisfy is because inside each of every one of us, there's a desire to know God. There really is. And we're not just accidents of fate that somehow we evolved into this and we're looking for some meaning or purpose outside of us. Because the purpose of life comes in a very simple way. The God of the universe came in the man Jesus Christ, the baby Jesus Christ. And that picture reminded me that babies are pretty scrunched up and ugly when they're born, right when they're first born. I mean, all babies are beautiful. I get it. But, you know, anyway, he created us. God created us out of love. He didn't need us, but he had an overflow of love. So he created us. And, And that God was all-powerful, which is what omnipotent means. Now, as we start the movie today, we're going to get a glimpse of this all-powerful God. It's sort of actually funny when you look at it because, first of all, the movie was made a long time ago. It's in black and white, and the graphics, the the computer-generated graphics, I don't think they were generated by computer, obviously. When you look at them, you'll see, but you'll see these little angels, their lights are flashing. I don't know if one of them's God or not, but anyway, it's in response to prayer, Prayers of the people of Bedford Falls going up for George Bailey, the main character in the movie. Let's watch the scene. If you've never seen the movie, George Bailey is the executive secretary of the Bailey Building and Loan. Now, his father started the Bailey Building and Loan, and George never wanted to have anything to do with it. George, when he was a boy, and when he was a teenager, he had big dreams. He was going to travel the world. He was going to become an architect. He was going to build magnificent buildings, and he was going to become rich and famous. That was George's dream. But George never left Bedford Falls. George submitted his dreams to the needs and desires of those around him to the Bailey Building and Loan. When his father died, he took over. He went, he went to work early so that his brother Harry could go to college and play football. And then he submitted his life day by day to serving the needs of his family, Mary and his children. So George probably would never have said, if you asked him, George, did you, you live in a wonderful life? George would have said, no, I'm not living the wonderful life that I dreamed of living. But here's the thing. Our lives aren't wonderful based on our self-assessment or on what others think, but based on their fruit. A couple weekends ago, Pastor Alex talked about how much Jesus talked about fruit. And, and fruit, he's not talking about bananas and oranges. He's talking about good deeds, about being the person that we were created to be. Anyone who lived in Bedford Falls knew that George was a good man. He had integrity. He had honesty. He was faithful to his family. He worked hard. And remember, George would never have said that he did all of these things because he was a follower of Jesus. He was just doing what he thought was best. But when he came to this crucial moment we're going to talk about, he did something that he didn't ordinarily do. He recognized he needed something bigger than himself. And so he turned to the origin of of omnipotence, to God, and he prayed. Now let's turn to the first Christmas when the God of the universe came to the earth and see how ordinary that moment actually seemed. Before we do that, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much 
that in your goodness you came here. We had rejected you, God, and you loved us still. And because of that, Jesus came. Because of that, we celebrate Christmas tomorrow. And God, we, we celebrate today that he grew up and lived that perfect life none of us could and that he died and rose again and he is waiting to return. God, we pray for him, his nature, his life, his love to live inside of each of us as ordinary as those lives might be so that they can be wonderful by your definition, which is the only definition that matters. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So it says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from Nazareth, to Judea, the city of the, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So when we read this account of Jesus' birth, I, I think we can agree that nobody's birth probably ever seemed more ordinary than Jesus. He wasn't even born in a house, let alone in a hospital. If I were God, now that'd be a scary thought, but if I were God and I were sending my only son into the world, I'll tell you how I would have done it. First thing I would have done is I would have taken some stars and I would have rearranged them so it had an arrow pointing like, he is here, you know what I mean? And then I would have put some other stars up there that said, it's a boy, but God didn't do that. In fact, God chose Mary, an unknown teenager, from Nazareth to bear his son. And he even allowed a, a, a scandal about her morality to circulate because she became pregnant before she had come together with her husband-to-be, Joseph. He let Jesus be born in a stable, and he let his first bed be a stone feeding trough for cows and other animals. Why would God do that? God wanted us to understand something important. It's our second point, and I think this is the point that probably might surprise us the most. A wonderful life ordinarily seems ordinary. A wonderful life ordinarily seems ordinary. Nothing seems more ordinary than Jesus' birth, right? So let's look at a few clips from George Bailey's life to see how his life was. So when George was a boy, he went sled riding, well, shovel riding. Anybody ever go sled riding when you were little? George had an after-school job. Anybody ever have an after-school job when you were growing up? George gave speeches as he not opened magnificent bridges and buildings, but little houses for people like the Martinis and like Ernie Bishop. George was an air raid warden during World War II, not a fighter pilot, not a general, not even a captain. He, he was an air raid warden. So not exactly the stuff of movies, is it? Now let's think about this. If they made a movie about your life, who would be the star? Who would be the star that would take the role of who? Chuck Mattis or, or of uh, Jess or of uh, Shannon or of Frank? I mean, who would play the role? That's an interesting question. And if, if they made the movie, would it seem a lot different than George Bailey's life? 
Would there be a lot going on in your life that would seem much different? You see, the movie shows that George, as ordinary as his life was, if he hadn't saved his brother Harry, if he hadn't gone into that pharmacy that day and kept Mr. Gower from dispensing poison medicine, if he hadn't built those little homes in Bailey Park, Ernie Bishop and others like him, their lives would have been ruined. They would have, hundreds would have died actually. You see, George's life was ordinary, but it actually made a ripple out from his life, ripples, I should say, went out from his life that impacted hundreds and probably thousands of lives. And once again, George was just a good man doing his best. He didn't have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding his life. He didn't have Jesus at the center. So imagine your life and my life with Jesus at the center, with the Holy Spirit leading and guiding. You know, even Jesus, yes, he's God, the son of the living God, but he was fully human and he relied on the Holy Spirit's leading and guidance in his life. When we read about Jesus' life in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his life was pretty ordinary up until he was 30. In fact, we don't know much about that part of his life. We know that when he started the ministry that was only three years long that would show the world he was the son of God, he wasn't known as the Messiah. He was known as the carpenter's son. Nothing wrong with being a carpenter's son, but not exactly a big title, right? Okay, so when you and I get out of bed each day, we probably want to make a difference. We might dream of being famous, of having people know us, but much more important than that is to have a relationship with the God of the universe. As I said, a wonderful life originates with omnipotence. We get to live in relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus. As we live each day, each ordinary day of our lives, we get to live as sons and daughters of the living God through Jesus Christ. The amazing truth of Christmas, I really want us to, the amazing truth of Christmas is human beings, human beings rejected God. We had turned away from God. God could have said, you know, those, those little blinking lights up there in heaven, they could have just said, hey, it's, it's fine up here. We don't need to go down there to that fallen hurting, dark world, but they didn't say that. God the Father told Jesus it's time to go, and he came. He came as a human being. The scripture says he emptied himself and became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross for us. And when that happened, almost no one knew about it. Well, there were a few people who knew about it. We're going to read about them right now. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph 
and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So God chose shepherds to announce the coming of his son, not kings, not governors, not the society's elite, but shepherds. Shepherds were pretty low on the strata of society in Jesus' day as they are in our day. And yet God showed them that his son had been born. Why? Once again, God shows us that an ordinary person is the person that he shows, reveals himself to. He lived, the shepherds lived ordinary lives, but I bet you every single one of them, and we know because it says they went back glorifying, praising God. They probably felt their lives were pretty wonderful in that moment after they had seen Jesus. So finally, number three, a wonderful life overcomes obstacles. A wonderful life overcomes obstacles. One of the challenges of ordinary lives is when we get in trouble, it's sort of harder for us to get out maybe, we think, than those who have a lot of money or a lot of fame, a lot of fortune. Ordinary lives make that more challenging. And in its wonderful life, crisis comes to George's life because Uncle Billy took an $8,000 deposit to the bank from the building and loan, but it never made it into the bank because he accidentally gave it to Mr. Potter. And Mr. Potter, if you never watched the movie, he's sort of like Ebenezer Scrooge before he was visited by the three angels. He was the meanest, nastiest man in town and the richest. And when Mr. Potter realized that Billy didn't know that he had given the money to him, instead of giving it back, he realized if he kept it, this is going to be big trouble for George. In fact, George is probably going to be the one that's accused of stealing the money because that's what the people will think. And so when George comes to Mr. Potter and and begs him to loan him $8,000 so he can make up this difference, Mr. Potter says to him, well, what's your collateral? And George admits the only thing he has is a life insurance policy that only has $500 of cash value. And Mr. Potter says, man, you're going to have to kill yourself. Well, he doesn't say that, but that's pretty much what he says. You're going to have to die to get that money. But George realizes Mr. Potter's right. The only way he can get the $8,000, the only way his family's going to be able to live after he is gone is through this life insurance policy because otherwise he's going off to jail. So he decides that he's going to take his life. He goes outside of Bedford Falls. He's standing on a bridge. He's looking over. He's going to jump into the river and his life. And that's when God answers all those people's prayers in George's prayer. And God sends Clarence. Clarence, not, you know, whenever we read about the angels appearing to the shepherds, what does, what does the, 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 shepherd, the angel have to say? Fear not, because angels are apparently scary-looking creatures. But Clarence wasn't a scary-looking creature, and fitting in or keeping in with the theme of ordinary lives being wonderful lives, you know, Clarence hadn't even got his wings yet. He doesn't look like an angel. But as George and Clarence are talking, George says, you know, it would be better if I just had never been born. And Clarence realizes, that's, that's how I'm going to show George. I'm going to show what life would be like if he had never been born. And so George gets to go back to Bedford Falls, but it's not Bedford Falls anymore. It's called Pottersville. And George goes and looks at all these places where he thinks he knows everybody, but everything's different. And it's not different in a good way. It's different in a bad way. And George realizes that even though in that moment, 
He felt like it was time to end his life. His life had been a good life, a wonderful life, and he wants to get back to it. And so as he's standing there on, his bri- on the bridge, he prays again, but it's a different prayer this time. What George says this time is, I want to live again. God, I want to live again. And God answers George's prayer. So before everything, everything in George's life had th- seemed so hopeless. He didn't see a way out, but now he's filled with hope. <laughs> What's the difference? George realizes that life is meaningful and important. And I want you to understand something that we learn from George. Whatever obstacle you're facing right now, whatever obstacle, whether it's physical, spiritual, emotional, or mental, God is with you right now in this very moment. God ran home, or God, George ran home from that bridge shouting Merry Christmas to everybody. He even pounds on Potter's window saying Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. And then he goes back home and he hugs his children and he says to the people that are gathered there, I I know I'm going to jail, but the movie doesn't end with George in jail. In fact, the movie ends this way. What I love about that is an angel didn't drop $8,000 out of heaven for George. The people of Bedford Falls came up with the money that was needed, an ordinary solution to an extraordinary problem. And maybe you're thinking $8,000 is not that big a deal. Some of you could write a check for $8,000. But remember, it was 1945. I did some research, and George needed $132,449.78 in today's dollars. That was a big problem. And yet the people came up with it together. And I mean, we could come up with 132,000 if we had to together. And that's really the point, that whatever it is that we're going through in our life right now, God is with us. He gives us the ability to overcome, to endure our obstacles or to work through them together. That's really the point of wonderful lives. As we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate God's coming to the earth and the, the little baby Jesus Christ, we need to remember something. Jesus wasn't just ordinary. His birth was ordinary. But Jesus lived a perfect life. That is extraordinary. Jesus died on a cross to pay the penalty for human sin. That is extraordinary. Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit to everybody who believes in him. That's extremely extraordinary. And he did all of that so you can live a wonderful life and so I can live mine. And that's why the next step is this. I will live the wonderful life Jesus has for me. Now, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I do know it originates with omnipotence. It originates with Jesus. I know that it might be as simple as uh, offering an encouraging word to a discouraged stranger or visiting a lonely friend or relative I know it's going to mean overcoming obstacles because until Jesus comes back to establish his reign forever, we're going to face obstacles that we made ourselves, that the world has made for us, or that the devil puts in our place. But when that comes, we will be ready when Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord of our ordinary, wonderful lives. Amen? If you're here today... And Jesus Christ has not yet given you that new life that he came to give. If he isn't your savior, which simply means rescuer from sin and death, or Lord, which means master, owner, God, then here at New Life we say that life isn't 
easy. It's simple, but not easy. But coming to Jesus as Savior and Lord is simple. It's as simple as A, B, C. A is to admit. We admit that we're sinners. We admit that we have not done everything right in our lives. And then B, we believe. We believe what I just said, that Jesus is Savior, that he rescued us from sin and death, that he's Lord, that he can lead us in our lives. And then C, we confess that Jesus is Savior and Lord, and we call on the Holy Spirit to come in to our lives and fill us so we can live that new life, the wonderful life that God has for each and every one of us. If you would like to do that right now, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. I'm going to pray as if I'm you, and I'm going to ask you to pray along. These words are words similar to this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus into the world to rescue us. God, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I need to be rescued by Jesus. And I believe that he wasn't just a little baby born in humble circumstances, but he is your son. And he did die and rise again, and he's with you now, and he's returning. But right now, I believe that he's Savior and Lord for me, and I ask that he comes in and takes over my life. And God, I confess Jesus is Savior and Lord and ask to be filled with your spirit that I can live the new life that you're giving me in this moment. And God, for all of us, we pray that if we've prayed that prayer at some time in the past, that we would remember that you are always with us, that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. One of the simplest symbols that human beings have ever devised for Jesus is a candle. A lit candle can represent the life of Jesus. And as we light the Christ candle, I, I, I thought about this yesterday whenever they were saying the power might go off. Imagine if we didn't have any electricity. This candle would be a pretty important thing, right? And a candle can light up a dark room, and this room is going to get darker. The one nice thing about a room with no windows, and people always complain about no windows here, but the one nice thing is it can be dark at 3.53 in the afternoon. And we're going to see this light is going to dispel the darkness. And not only that, but this one light is going to provide light for every one of you in the room. I'm going to ask uh, some friends to come up right now. They're going to be the ones who are going to share the light with you. But I want you to remember what Jesus said. He said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but they will see the light of life. And so as we pass these lights, okay, and, and that's the right way, Justin. Dip it into the lit one, or otherwise you'll get wax all over your hands. There you go. Um, they're going to share that light with you. As we sing together, Silent Night, it's one of those songs that reminds us of that simple birth in Bethlehem so long ago. So if you're able, would you please stand as we sing together, as we share the light of Jesus Christ. Virgin Mother 
One small light has filled an entire room. The light of Jesus Christ can fill the entire world as we share the light that we have received. Notice Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but later he also said, you are the light of the world. As we go out into a world that's not yet physically dark as we go out, it is spiritually dark. And each and every one of yours and my Ordinary lives, wonderful lives with Jesus at the center can bring light. I'd like you to, if you would, just for a moment, raise your light up. I always love doing this because once we do it, I can actually see, except there's so many of you, I can see the faces of people even in the back row. And it's 
The light of Jesus is not to be hidden. Let's put it back down a little safer this way. But it's not to be hidden. It's to be shared. We've already shared it with each other. Let's share it symbolically with everybody we meet in the days ahead, in the new year that's coming.